This morning, we are going to have some other some other examples, <clears throat> some other examples of the Spirit of God at work and what that looks like and where that comes from. And we will begin with Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. That's <laughs> Not a, not a funny chapter. Ezekiel 37. Uh, I always think when thinking about Ezekiel, there was a time years ago where we were um, kidnapping sixth graders for a church function. And yeah, the idea was it was a way to welcome them into the youth group. And so uh, the arrangements had been made ahead of time with the parents that were coming at this time this morning, but it's way before they're going to be waking up. And so... Uh, so we'd go to their house, and you know the parents knew it was coming, but the kids had no idea. And they get the kids, and you're coming with us now. And you get them in the van, you take them out to breakfast, and it was a way of sort of getting to know them uh, before then they were really in the youth group kind of thing. And there was this one kid, <laughs> the uh, one of the other youth leaders said, we, we went to his house, and you know everybody else is still just dead asleep, and just like, oh, what, what's going on? He said this kid was awake in his room reading the book of Ezekiel. He's like, as a sixth grader, who does that? Anyway, so if that is not what you were doing in sixth grade, you are behind. Um, (laughs) I was not. Ezekiel chapter 37, though. Here we go. Uh, Starting in verse 1. This can be found on page 1349 in the Bibles that are over there. And Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do... Thank you again for this day. We do thank you for your word and for your spirit. God, we do have so many things this week that may be on our minds, whether um, school shootings or or farm bills or volcanoes or people we love that are hurting, royal weddings, or even whether we hear Yanny or Laurel. There's a lot of a lot of words and places we can turn to make sense of the world we live in and to know how we ourselves are to live in it. But God, there's only one place we can go that is the source of all wisdom and truth, and that is to you. So Lord, we thank you for your word that you have given to us, revealing who you are, what this world is like and why it is the way that it is. And we thank you that through your word and your spirit we have um, not only the description but also the prescription that gives us hope. A hope um, not only for today but also for the days to come. We pray that you would help us this morning to hear your word that by your spirit we would understand it and be empowered to live it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 37, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, 
you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy. And say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. Turning then to John 15 as Jesus is speaking to his disciples in that last evening before he goes to the cross. Start at the end of John chapter 15 and then pick up the first part of John chapter 16. Jesus continuing what he has been saying to his disciples in verse 26 says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this. So that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me where you are, where are you going. Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we have just read 
a few different verses about the Spirit of God and uh, what the Spirit of God does. Today is Pentecost. Usually on Pentecost, we will read from Acts chapter 2 where you have uh, the coming of the Spirit on the disciples. And that's where Jesus had told them at the beginning of Acts, you're going to be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and Judea and, all, and Samaria to all the ends of the earth. You'll do that when the Holy Spirit comes on you in power. And before that, you're supposed to just wait in Jerusalem. So go to Jerusalem, wait. When the Spirit comes on you, then you're going to do these things. And so they go to Jerusalem and they wait. And then on Pentecost, that's what we celebrate, is the Spirit coming on the disciples. And then this begins. And it kind of kicks off uh, the whole rest of the book of Acts as we see them going around and doing exactly that, being witnesses to Jesus, what they have seen and heard and who they know Jesus to be. But they're doing this empowered by the Spirit. So that's what we see in the whole rest of the book of Acts. And it's also what kicks off all of us doing these same things wherever we are. And so we're not, we're not going to read from Acts chapter 2 this morning. But we are going to read from later in the book. We're going to read later in the book uh, in Acts chapter 19 where we see something similar happening, happening in a different place. So Acts chapter 19, this is further on in the story. this is verses uh, 1 through 10. We will get to (laughs) the verses after that next week. You can send me in your questions ahead of time. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. As I say, this is not Acts chapter 2, this is Acts chapter 19. We're later on in the story. And yet what we see here is very similar to what we see in Acts chapter 2, in that first Pentecost, where people are gathered together and the Holy Spirit comes on them and they begin speaking in tongues so that people will understand the message about Jesus, whoever they are, wherever they're from. This is what we see happening again as Paul is now in Ephesus far away from Jerusalem. And so if you're kind of tracking the geography of what's been going on throughout the book of Acts, we see that Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Check. (laughs) And in all Judea and Samaria. Check. And to the ends of the earth. And that is kind of where we're finding ourselves at this point in the story. Although there's still farther to go and they're still going 
farther. But at this point, he's in Ephesus, and he's been moving and on the move quite a bit. But if you notice here, he kind of camps out at Ephesus for a while. He hangs out and stays for two years. For two years, he stays in Ephesus. And what is he doing while he's in Ephesus? Same kind of thing he did everywhere, right? He's telling people about Jesus. He's connecting uh, all the stories of the Old Testament to who Jesus is and how all of it had been pointing to this Messiah who God would send. And then he says, and Jesus is that Messiah. That's what's going on. And everywhere he's been, we've seen two reactions consistently. Now, everywhere he's been, some people receive this news as good news and respond joyfully. And some people refuse to believe, they reject him, and they often then will try to do bad things to him. We see the same thing here, although a little longer. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We have uh, the first thing that happens when he gets into, into Ephesus is meeting these people who don't even know there's a Holy Spirit. Is that a problem? I think that's a problem, <laughs> right? If the, uh, the way that God has revealed himself throughout all of Scripture is there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you have people who are trying to worship God, trying to follow him, but they have no idea there is a Holy Spirit, then their understanding of who the God is they're worshiping is deficient, right? And so it's very important that they even just know about the Holy Spirit, but much more important than knowing that there is one is actually having the Holy Spirit in their lives, empowering them and guiding them and leading them and teaching them. Jesus said uh, when the advocate comes, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And this is one of the roles of the, the Holy Spirit in our lives is to remind us of who Jesus is. And I think... Uh, one of the reasons for that is because there's also, we're going to get a little weird here, just bear with me. There's also someone in the Bible known as the accuser or Satan. And we know that voice really well. And that is the voice that is constantly, whoa, I just backed into that. That is the voice that is constantly whispering that lie to us. God doesn't love you. If he really loved you, would you be going through what you're going through? Why would he love you when you've done these things? That voice, we know that voice. It's the same voice that Jesus dealt with when he was in the wilderness, right? If you really are the son of God, how come you're so hungry? Aren't, aren't these stones, shouldn't they be service for you as bread? Come on. God doesn't love you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Man does not live on bread alone and every word that comes from the mouth of God. That all three of the temptations, that's the same issue. If this is really who you are, if God really loves you, he doesn't love you. If he does, come on, do something to prove it. If he does, why, why not these things? Why are you in the wilderness, hungry and alone? We know that voice. We experience that voice ourselves. But Jesus says, I'm going to go, and I'm going to send to you, not an accuser. <laughs> I'm going to send to you someone who is called a comforter and someone who is called an advocate. 
That's who's coming. The one who reminds you of Jesus. So that when you start hearing that voice that says, God doesn't love you, you have this other voice that says, yes, he does. Remember Jesus. He's the one who died for you. Are you going to tell me that he died for you even though he didn't love you? Of course not. He died for you because he loves you. Do you know that voice? Do you know the voice of the Spirit in your life that reminds you of who Jesus is, the love that Father has for you, that has shown to you in Jesus, who wants that relationship with you, would go that far to have that relationship with you? Do you know that voice? The one that comforts you as it reminds you of Jesus. The one who is your advocate, who enables you to say, get behind me, Satan. To the other voice. These people didn't have that voice. They didn't know that voice. They didn't even know that was an option. And I think at this point, Paul has, uh, it doesn't say this, I'm just kind of reading into it, (laughs) that Paul would have kind of two simultaneous reactions here. One is being sad that they didn't know it, but also, second, being really excited because now he gets to tell them, (laughs) you know? And now he gets to tell them there is a Holy Spirit. And you can have the Holy Spirit in your life too. And so he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. He says it's not just a matter of John's baptism. That's what they'd known before. What they'd known before was just the baptism of John the Baptist. It says, get things right in your life. You're going the wrong direction. And everybody says, you're right. I've been going the wrong direction. And I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to do better now. But that's kind of the baptism of New Year's resolutions. Of getting things right on your own willpower. I don't know how many of you have had successful New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Sometimes yes, often no. And so what these people knew is that there is a better way, but they didn't have the power to live it. They didn't have the power in their life that was reminding them of Jesus and then who was also enabling them to live differently than they lived before in any sort of real way. And so he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. And then uh, when he places his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. Is that significant there are about 12? Probably so. You can think of other 12s in the Bible and figure out why that might be significant. <laughs> 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples representing the people of God. Here we have, yet again, these are people who are in Ephesus of all places. You're telling me those are the people of God? And God says, yes. <laughs> They're my people too people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Ephesus, and El Dorado. These are my people. And so, um, and so we see the signs of the Spirit coming on, him, on these people. Uh, that is something that has caused the church a great deal of trouble throughout the years as people look to the signs instead of to the purpose. <laughs> Why are the signs there? So people know that, yes, the Holy Spirit has come in this group too. But after the Spirit has come in this group too, we don't see those kinds of signs again. But we do still see the power of the Spirit in their lives. We do see the comforter. We do see the advocate. And so we should expect the Spirit to still be active in our lives. Um, As someone who teaches us about Jesus and reminds us about Jesus, 
not as one who does um, kind of circus shows for entertainment. So what comes next? This is how Paul spends the rest of his time in Ephesus. And it's divided into, it's two years, divided into the first part, which is three months, and then the rest of the two years. And the first part in that three months, he's doing what he always does, where he goes into the synagogue. He's teaching people about Jesus there. Why the synagogue? Because that's where people knew the Old Testament. That's where people were already prepared for the message of a Messiah, the one that God would send. And so that's where you go in and say to people, you have seen the first you know, three quarters of the movie. And it's like you have no idea what the end is. And there was a, a problem in the projector booth, and it cut off. And so everybody's like, you know, we, we know that part really well. We have no idea how it ends. And he comes in and says, let me show you how it ends. <laughs> let me show you the rest of the story. Let me fill in the gaps and see how everything was pointing, you know, leading up to this. Let me show you the climax. And so these are the people who are prepped and ready and should respond well. And they actually kind of do here because he stays for three months. Usually he doesn't get to stay that long. He stays for three months teaching people, but eventually they decide they've had enough, um, and he leaves. Although we do have people who receive it well, and we have then people who don't. The people who don't, it says, uses his words again, but some of them became obstinate and refused to believe. We've seen that before in Acts of people doing that. This word obstinate actually means to harden themselves against it. I don't know about you, but maybe you can relate. Have you ever been in an argument with someone, discussion with someone, where you have a difference of viewpoints, and at some point they say something, or you are able to suddenly see it differently, and you realize you've been arguing the wrong point, you're on the wrong side of the issue, you ever been there? and been unwilling to admit it. (laughs) And you have kind of this split-second moment where you realize you're wrong, and you could say, you know, all right, pride away, I was wrong. You're you're right. Or that split-second decision, it's more natural, is where you you harden yourself instantly. And you're like, I know I'm in the wrong, but I am not going to admit it. I'm going to see this thing through... I don't care. Is that just me? You guys didn't there too? When you reach that point, when you reach that point, the argument, the discussion is over. It is over. When you have decided, I'm going to just argue for the sake of arguing, or I'm going to argue so that I can come out on top with my pride still intact, there's no longer any seeking of truth going on. When Paul is in this position and he's talking to these people and they have hardened themselves against the message, they refuse to believe, they have decided, I don't care what you say, we are committed to saying no. When that happens, he moves on. And that is one where I think it's just sad and sad. There's no excitement about that. It's just sad. Here, I'm telling you good news for you and you refuse. But where he goes from there, again, is what we continue to see. Everywhere Paul goes, he does the same thing. Just continues talking about Jesus. Continues telling people about Jesus. And this is where what happens next. He has to go out of uh, the synagogue. And so he goes to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So this week we're out of the sanctuary. But here we are. 
And what are we going to do? The same thing we always do. We're going to talk about Jesus. And last week, um, we talked about having our own homes as sanctuaries. Turning your own kitchen, your own living room into a sanctuary where you're talking about the things of God, where you are worshiping God together with the people that are there who live there or those you invite to visit. That that would be a place where you could do that. This is what's going on with, uh, with Paul in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Did you hear how often they're meeting? How often he's talking about these things? Every day. This is not a once-a-week thing. This is life. And so let's get together as often as we can and talk about these things and then go out and live these things and then come back together and talk about these things and go out and live these things. And by the end, it says he's doing this for you know, a year and nine months. And as, as he does this for a year and nine months, then it says this went on for two years that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Do you think all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia came to the lecture hall of Tyrannus to hear Paul? I don't think so. So how'd they all hear this? It's because there were people who came to the lecture hall of Tyrannus and who had these conversations. And then were excited to go out and talk to other people about it. And their homes became sanctuaries and synagogues. <laughs> and their workplaces became sanctuaries and synagogues everywhere they went and so the synagogue itself was not the only place that people could go to hear the good news about jesus but once again we see the spirit in the church moving people out and taking the message with them and reminding people everywhere about jesus who he is what he did what that means for us we're going to celebrate Again, what Jesus did for us. And as we uh, do so here in a few minutes, I want you to think about this. That we do need food. We do need drink. He provides these things. We also, as we mentioned in the children's sermon, we need breath to live. But eating and drinking in and of itself Jesus says it's not the body more than food, right? There's more to being alive than just keeping yourself alive. There's living. And so as we come here and we eat and we drink, let us remember it's not just about keeping ourselves alive, but there is a life to be lived as the church. And it involves living by the Spirit, speaking the words of the Spirit, in the ways of the Spirit and reminding people everywhere about Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.